Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production, and our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today, we're going to continue our lab with Chris Benwick. Uh, we're going to be talking about Loopback and Soundesk and uh, Korg nanocontrollers, and we're going to see how it goes. It could be a little rough. Uh, the sailing could be a little rough, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And, and I think that Figuring it out is part of the fun to, to watch it. So uh, so stay tuned for the second hour and uh, load up your questions on that. I know a lot of people are trying to follow along here. So uh, so get your questions ready for that for the second hour. Um, and a quick reminder, of course, that you can ask questions throughout the hour uh, and all day. If you use this little QR code here or go to askofficehours.global, you can actually ask questions any time of the day and then we'll file them into the system. If you're actually inside of Makana, of course, you can ask questions there and vote on those questions. Um, and of course, you can chat with others and so on and so forth. So go ahead and do that. Make sure to vote. Voting is really important because it kind of orders those questions and let us know, you know, how you feel about it and, and what order you'd like us to answer them in. All right, let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Mitch, what do we have? Thank you, Alex. First in, Joe Phillips from Murphy, North Carolina. Excuse me while I get into my movie voice. Imagine, <laughs> if you dare, in a world that never knew the Mix Pre 3 with noise assist, what would you do to cope? Solutions for a home Zoom studio at the same budget, and what could be done on the cheap as well? Anyway, uh, go ahead, Bill. So in my day, we didn't have noise assist and all this fancy stuff. I do. I want to go into that voice and talk about that because, listen, for years, we've been trying to figure out how to deal with this. And so I would suggest you the same thing I would have suggested before these tools came out, which is you start with trying to get the best environment and the best circumstance you can. Don't think about I'm going to not worry about it and then fix it in post with noise assist or a tool like that. As wonderful as they are, and I'm all for these it is much easier on the algorithm to reduce noise if you can get a decent sound to begin with. So most of us have things like drapes, the ones behind me over my shoulder, and we pay a lot of attention to getting the room as quiet as possible, eliminating exterior sounds. Once we do all that, then using these tools can be incredibly effective because they're not trying to lift, do a big lift. So I would always do that first, treat the room, get things quiet or the space where you have to work. Uh, you know, have your neighbors turn off their loud music if you're recording and things like that. So you're not taxing these algorithms. Once you do all that, though, they are really incredibly effective at taking that last remaining bit of noise and suppressing it to the point where now I can work almost anywhere. I have a voice booth next to me over in the next room, and I seldom use it even for doing things like my audiobook narration. And, you know, that's that's difficult work because you have to do hours and hours of recording. So if somebody with a loud car comes by, it can really affect your productivity. And so I'm just all for these new tools. And I think make it as right as you can first. That's that's stage one. And then use these tools after that. Go ahead, Courtney. Or if you're not afraid to step outside that walled garden, you could get you an NVIDIA RTX card and run their broadcast software 1.2 update, as it says here. Uh, removes room echo, pet noise, and video noise to transform any room into a home studio. So it's uh, pretty efficient noise removal. I don't know about the echo removal. I haven't tried that, but that would be interesting. And it's uh, you can do it if you have a NVIDIA RTX video card in your PC. So that's a choice. It's probably a lot cheaper than uh, buying a Mixpre 3 and licensing the noise, uh, noise assist. So you could give that a try. 
Yeah, the um, you can also CRISPR is another thing to look at. Um, it's an it's a software based uh, noise reduction tool. Uh, Cedar, I think builds builds using Cedar inside of his tool. So Cedar builds a plugin now that makes that available to a, a, a variety of different things. So those are things, and of course the old fashioned gates are things that we used to use to get rid of it. At least while we were talking, you have to be very gentle with the gate, though. And the problem really is, or expander sometimes is a little bit better than a gate. Um, that is going to just kind of quietly push the it's kinda, expander is kind of like a compressor, but the other direction. So it just pushes down those things as you go go in and out of them. But be very careful of the attack, the knee, how you're going to get in and out of those things is really important because it is, uh, you know, otherwise you just as it comes in and out and we'd like to avoid that. I have to admit that we're also, we're very spoiled here by having a lot of noise assist. If you listen to a broadcast, there's a lot of noise in most broadcasts that you're listening to. Just open up like a Sunday morning discussion like this week with George Stephanopoulos, close your eyes and and with headphones and listen to it. And you're going to hear the horrible audio that is actually part of most broadcasts. You can hear the, the, the you can hear the, you know, all the, um, the bounce of all the hard surfaces. You can hear uh, the noise that's in it. You can hear all of those things. So we, we put up with that in a lot of broadcasts. Uh, but you know, here we've decided that we don't have to put up with all those things. And so, uh, we made it a little bit quieter. Yeah. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I agree 100% with Alex on a gate versus an expander. I have a gate on this microphone and, uh, best to use it just very, very sparingly. Otherwise it's going to sound like somebody clicking it on and off. I use about three DB of uh, noise reduction with that expander. That's the way to go. If you're going to go with something, that's not a technical thing like uh, noise assist. Hey, go ahead, Chris. You know, there's a demo that's going around on social media where there's a guy on stage and he plays a sound. It's a it's a muffled audio recording. And then on the screen, he puts a transcription of what you, you think you're hearing. And then he plays the sound again and he puts a different transcription. And then he plays the sound again. He puts a di- And depending on what you're looking at on the screen, you will totally hear three or four different sentences. It's a, right. it's a crowd cheering at a football game, I think. And... Um, and it really speaks to the power of how the the eyes and the ears work together. And I think that when you, you're talking about like the George Stephanopoulos thing, when you are watching that show, your mind has a re- really incredible uh, noise reduction system in it that allows you to really sort of focus in on what you're seeing and hearing. When you take the visual away, you start to really hear all the other uh, noise and, and problems in, in the audio chain. And I think that to your point, Alex, I know that, you, you know, uh, you have the new radio app and you, you always say that, you know, you enjoy just listening to the show. And I think that's why the audio is so important, because when you do remove the picture, it, it, the audio does become so much more important. And I will admit, I just want to admit that we are far more specific about this because I've been doing so, you know, all of us are production people. And that's a different uh, approach to this than um, like when we say when we say radio, we sound better, in my opinion. I mean, I listen to a lot of things than NPR. I mean, NPR, their hosts sound great. They're on Neumann's and they're in a studio, but all the call-ins are, you know, little needles in my ear so so the um you know so all of the you know there's so much bad audio in most radio because they've just said well it's okay for people to call in on their phone it's okay for people to do this it's okay for people to be on skype with you know nothing or zoom with you know just whatever they're going to do and it sounds super echoey and so we've decided a lot of things are okay and i admit that one of the goals of our show is to show people that doesn't have to be that way 
like, you know, like we can actually, you know, we can elevate the con, we can elevate the quality of the conversation without um, too much fuss and keep on trying to find out what that takes so that people get used to something that looks and sounds a lot better than what um, broadcast settles for on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but you're all right that a lot of it is our visuals. Like one of the things that when I really, really enjoy a movie and I can't quite figure out why, like there's something about it that I really enjoy. I have a tendency to watch it a couple different times. So I'll watch it. I always try to watch every movie at the beginning as a, as a spectator. I'm just, I'm just here watching the movie. I'm going to try to enjoy it. I'm not going to think about anything. Then a lot of times I'll watch it again, but I'm looking for things. Like I'm looking for the visual effects. I'm looking for the things that are there. Then I turn all the audio off and I just watch. I literally sit there and watch a whole film just, just silent. And what I'm, I can't see the edits until I turn the audio off. And now, then I can start to see how they're building that and how they're doing that. But I can't do it at the, at the beginning either. Now I'm just kind of in it. Oh, I see what he did there. Oh, I see what they did there. Like, a, like Tony Scott films are particularly good at this. I mean, Man on Fire is just, it is the most active editor I think I've ever seen is Man on Fire, where the edit is part, is a character in the, I mean, in all cases, it's the character, but it's the most, most focused character is the editor is the character uh, in the film. And so you watch that silently. Then I close my eye, I, I will turn it, I'll play it again. And I don't do this all in one Saturday. Like I do this over time, but I, I just want to have people think like, I just watched a movie for a day. Uh, although that would be, wouldn't be necessarily a bad idea. Anyway, um, but then I just close my eyes and I, you know, and I just listen to the show. I listen to the whole movie and you can hear, you can hear what's interesting is you can hear all the effects that they're adding. It's much clearer when you don't see them. You under, you under, you can hear the Foley, but you can also hear mistakes. You can hear the effects and you can hear things that are just amazing. Like a, a good one. A, another good one is really interesting is uh, traffic um, is almost no ADR. And so you hear all this other stuff and you hear rustling and you hear all kinds of other things that Soderbergh allows into the, into the thing. And you can hear that if you just close your eyes and listen to the whole thing. Anyway, so those are those are things to think about. But I think that, um, you know, so th- there's a lot out there. We are particularly quiet and it's because of noise assist, I think, and, and because that has driven us and we've been driving for years now, I mean, thousands of shows um, to make it quieter and, and better, to make it more listenable. And I think that it reduces the cognitive load on the, on the listener to listen to our show. That's the goal. Um, next question. Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia asking, what does the panel think of the update of the Blackmagic cam- uh, Camera Update app? Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, um, I've been playing around with it since the question came in. And as usual, I just, I love the way that, I love the way that these are orchestrated. For me, the biggest thing is the um, the import and export for camera settings. So that you, if you've got multiple of these in the field, you're not going to, you're not going to be left out. I also noticed when I when I launched into the app that every animation is much much smoother. Um, so if I turn the phone sideways, and this time of course it didn't correct, there it goes. Um, it it just everything feels more smooth. Uh, they also added the ability to append LUTs, which is a pretty big deal. So yeah, pretty cool for yeah. a completely free app. Well. And this is why, you know, it's going to be hard to be a, a camera app on the phone. This app has been out, I don't know, not very long, a couple months. And here is, I'm just going to list it as fast as I can, the update that happened 12 hours, 14 hours ago, only a month or two in. Controls dials to offer haptic feedback for higher and higher accuracy, support for six languages, 
uh, improved layouts for the iPhone, improved animations for the player, improved animations for stealth mode, improved organization and grouping of camera settings, support for select uh, selecting a specific onboard microphone, support for uh, main, maintain zebra peaking false color during recording, support for flipping the image for SLR lenses, what? Um, support for flicker-free uh, for 50 and 60 hertz, support for uh, recording clip with LUT and tagging color space, Ability to export and import camera setting presets, improved grid controls, selectable time-lapse duration, ability to drag clips. I mean, this is an incredible update that happened a month or two after. And what this usually means is they had all this stuff there. They decided they had to ship at a certain time. They shipped at that certain time. They they turned a bunch of things off because they didn't have them and put it out there. But I can I, I think what you can expect to I think what what I'm going to expect is that kind of update probably every three months, you know, from that, that pace of they're going to get a bunch, they have more people using this probably than they have, you know, cameras in the field and they're going to get a bunch of feedback and they're going to see how people are using it. And they're going to keep on adjusting because they just have a lot more engineers than everybody else. And I think that I, you know, I, I do think when you look at the depth of this app, they take this very seriously. This is not like a, Oh, let's see how this goes. They use that for the, they use this app for the Apple event. Like, you know, like it is, you know, so it is, um, so, and I, and I bet you a bunch of those updates were related to the Apple event. So I bet you a bunch of the things that are in those settings were, Hey, we're shooting the Apple event and, um, Apple's, you know, the Apple's crew is saying, we need this, 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 that you don't have this, we need this. And this is probably a response to that. And, and, um, I think that it's a pretty amazing app. It's so deep. It, I keep on going, oh, I got to get more into it. But it's it's a deep app. It's the, it was one of the deepest apps I've ever put on my phone. Um, and so I would definitely, uh, you know, if you if you haven't put it on your phone, you should and play with it. And I, it's going to take you a little time to come up to speed. So it's, but it's a pretty incredible production app. Uh, next question. Joe Phillips is back from Murphy, North Carolina, looking at Blackmagic Design Ultra Studio 3G Recorder as a middle ground between Majewell and Condor Blue. Should I pony up and use an A10 Mini Pro to do the same job and get the bonus features, the SDI input not needed for this application? Jason? To, um, to me, the only real benefit to the, the 3G uh, Ultra Studio is a much higher bit rate. Um, other than that, no. I, I mean, I, I would. I don't generally like those particular boxes. I actually have a bunch of those boxes, um, and I will say that your color accuracy will be better with that box than it will be with the ATEM. There's oh yeah, something no with doubt. The, there's something with the black levels on the ATEM that we're still struggling with um, in a variety of different places, both in the encode, the delivery to Zoom, so on and so forth. And we find that the color accuracy for these, the Ultra Studio is actually pretty good. I think that there was a. I think um, there was some. Uh, cross section of that anyway um uh, but i i think that you're going to find that the color is better i if if all you're doing is streaming and you might need i will say that the switchers are great to have in your pipeline and the reason we like to use switchers hardware switchers in our pipeline is so that we can throw up slates we can play a little countdown clock we can do we can route things when something goes wrong we can always put it in but i would be more tempted to be honest to use the one me with an sdi or use the a10 mini pro and put it in front of that it doesn't appear that these black level problems that we're seeing are happening in the HDMI output of the Blackmagic switchers. It's really happening in the encode, either to RTMP or to USB-C. So, um, so you probably would be fine with putting the switcher. And I think having a switcher in the pipeline makes sense. But if all you need to do is do a do an encode, I would I would use the. You know, I think it's a great in between, and it, it works well. Next question. 
Jeff Cohen from Miami Beach, Florida, just saw the release of Presonus' Metro Claiming, the first solution for live remote mixing. Is it actually doing anything not currently available? Yeah, I don't know. I looked at it. I don't know if it's doing anything different than what we can do with the Behringer or, or Yamaha. So I'm not sure. I think first is a pretty big word. <laughs> like, you know, you got to be very careful that you're really first. They may be doing something that I don't see, but between Calrec, Behringer, Yamaha, it feels like a lot of things have been floating around here that worked before them, you know, to um, to make that happen. So uh, I don't, they'd have to prove to us what makes them different. And I, I couldn't find something on the site that proved it to me. Um, next question. TJ Asher from Minneapolis, Minnesota asking, can we talk about the new Sony A9 Mark III, 4K, 120 frames per second, global shutter video, no more jello cam, flash sync at any shutter speed, no blackout EVF, uh, electronic viewfinder, and on and on, spring 2024 availability. I go ahead, Mitchell. You know, it's it's somehow, I get this feeling that this is step one. There's going to be another shoe that's going to drop, and there's going to be an FX that uh, FX camera from Sony that's going to do a lot of the similar things. Because uh, the A9, uh, the Alpha 9, has a lot of very uh, 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 still camera uh, things going for it, like the electronic viewfinder um, and the uh, camera body and stuff like that. It's not really, it's a hybrid. It's sort of this, it's sort of that. Um, I would say maybe wait a little bit to see what comes out with the FX uh, series. Maybe it'll be a predecessor or a, uh, uh, a sequel to the FX 30 that does all of these things. Yeah, it's interesting. I doubt it'll be an FX 30, but I think that an FX, you know, I don't know, a four, five, like they left some spaces in there for us. <laughs> so I don't understand the Sony naming convention. The EVs are the most, you know, the EV1 is actually nicer than the EV10, which is a very complicated process inside of um, uh, the Sony the Sony process. But if you wait three months, there'll be a new, new camera. Uh, that said, wow, at $6,000, this is an impressive camera. So um, you know, I, I think that I don't think I need the form factor of a still camera, which is kind of what it's giving us. I really wish this was a box camera um, to make this work at that price. Um, I'd rather make it part of a system. Um, but global shutter at $6,000. Now, this isn't the first $6,000 camera that's that's global shutter. The Komodo um, does that, has been doing that for quite some time. Um, but uh, it is, uh, I do think it increases the pressure on everyone under $10,000 to move to global shutter. It really is a problem. Like, you know, you really get issues with uh, global shutter if you don't 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 um, have a way to you know if you're doing uh, you, the the scan it, you're, you're getting you're going to get jello vision and you just, there's a lot of things you can't shoot now you can shoot lots of interviews you can shoot lots of things that aren't moving very fast there's a lot of things that you can shoot with without the global shutter but but it really makes a huge difference as if you're really thinking about a film camera and i will keep on underlying 4k 120 frames per second is getting pretty common like a lot of people are talking about it. Um, so that's super interesting. All the TVs are all 120 and most of the cameras are becoming 120. See how that goes. Mitchell. Alex, if you had $6,000 to spend on a Sony camera, wouldn't you be tempted to go to an FX6? There's yep. a lot no, of the get, same things. I, I would get an FX6 right now the at $6,000. But but I would say that uh, I'd love to see Sony. I I can't see how they can do... The a the a the alpha series at global shutter and not release global shutters inside of the FX series. I just don't think it'll be the FX thirty. I think it'll be an FX five or an FX. I guess they are they already have a seven, right? So it'd be like a five or an eight or a 
whatever. Um, so there's there's all these, I don't know, they got to fit the numbers in somewhere. But but I think that they have to put one in the FX series. I do agree with you that that, that it's it's just weird to have the Alpha be the one that has that. It's also a very odd choice here because this is a very video camera. It is, um, uh, you know, they but they they didn't go up to the resolution that the other Alpha series has. So they, uh, they have the other Alpha is doing 61 megapixels and this is only doing 24. So it really is a, it's a mostly a video camera with some still stuff. And it's just kind of a, I feel like it's a weird in between. So, so, and if they, I will say that if they release an FX at NAB and this one's not available until the end of March, people are going to wait to see what happens. And I do think this one could get crushed. If an FX has a global shutter, a lot of people, to your point, I think will pick the FX. If it has the same features, but it's an FX form factor, I think everyone everyone wants to everyone who's looking at this camera, or almost everyone looking at this camera, would probably go for an FX like boxy, um, you know, like an FX six with global shutter, one twenty f four K, all that stuff. They'd rather have it in a box for the people who are their target mar market for this. And so I think that's going to be interesting to see how they play that out. And I think, again, I think Sony's biggest problem, their biggest advantage is they've got some great tech. Their biggest problem is, is it's just mass confusion over all the different things that they release and different. They have, It feels like they have like three different divisions that are not only competing with the rest of the world, but with each other. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think the problem is it requires a completely different chip technology for the sensor, and it's going to be much more expensive to do that global shutter. And they're stuck at a lower pixel count, 24 megapixels, they said is the sweet spot for the trade-off between, uh, you know, higher resolution and uh, shorter exposure times. With that uh, global shutter, you can, for still work, you have unlimited flash synchronization because you just, uh, you know, you capture the flash whenever it occurs since it's global shutter it doesn't matter you don't have to synchronize the flash with the scanning of the uh, of the chip so and it also gives you an incredibly short exposure times if you're doing uh, slow-mo uh, you get that really pristine sharp every single frame is in perfect focus if you want to do that kind of stuff for slow-mo stuff it can do incredibly high frame rate with really sharp stuff so uh, I think it's the reason you won't see them on the higher resolution sensors is because the speed that's required to offload all that data in such a short period of time, uh, you really can't do it with, you know, millions more pixels to deal with uh, each for each frame. You can't really do it. Right. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I see an FX in the future with uh, global shutter and uh, built-in ND filters. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be very good. Um, a quick reminder, of course, that you can ask questions throughout the hour. Uh, so you can um, either use Makana and vote on those questions and ask those questions, or you can use this little QR code right here, uh, and or go to just askofficehours.global. And of course, you can use that 24-7 to ask your questions. So throw those questions in, and we'll filter them into the show. Make sure to vote on the questions. We've got a lot of questions today, so make sure to let us know. You know, Create that order. You as the viewing producer really control that. So if you're inside of Makana, if you're trying to figure out how to get into Makana so that you can vote, uh, there's an email that goes out every day that, that gives you a link at the bottom of, of how to get in. If, if you don't have that email, then you have to go to officehours.global and then sign up for join. And then we'll start sending you emails once a day that tell you what's going on and give you lots of links of things that you can do and you'll be part of the, part of the family. All right, next question. Fred Eric Eckert from Bad Herdenheim, Germany. How do you provide power for the Sony FX30 in a small studio setup? The camera should turn on and off when switching power on and off in the battery dummy or USB-C. Go ahead, Mitchell. 
Um, I have an FX3, and the FX30 are pretty much uh, the same camera in terms of uh, 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 geometry. Um, I use a uh, dummy battery. Um, it doesn't make sense to power it with USB because the USB only charges the battery at it, and it can't stay up with it if you're leaving it on for long periods of time. So uh, if you're going to do what I do with my uh, webcam, um, get a dummy battery for it. I forget the model that I have in my camera right now. I know it's working great, but it was almost three years ago that I installed it, so I don't recall. But you don't have the hatch on it, right? You don't have the little hat. There's a, you have to like, what do we, what do you do with the door when you put Dremel. a dummy battery in? Dremel. Yeah. So it, what's interesting about it is, so for the FX30, uh, the, if you do, I have, I, what I do is I have a battery. I fully charged it. Now I have it connected to USB-C and it just stays up. You know, the only time it turns off, it gets overheating or whatever. Um, and so I prefer not to Dremel my 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 camera. So um, so I've left the, the battery in and it works. It works as long as the battery is fully charged. When you when you plug in the USB-C, it hasn't been a problem. I do have the dummy battery. I haven't used the dummy battery because uh, of that. Like, I don't want to I don't want to leave the door open. I don't want to Dremel it. So I've been kind of in this in-between state. What's interesting is that the EV series, the EVZ1 and Z10, both have a little hatch for that dummy battery. Like they thought of it when they did that one. They have like a little hatch that just opens so that you can push the dummy battery in. And which I thought, I was like, I wonder if they know that people are using dummy batteries. And then I was like, well, they know on these cameras because they built a hatch for it. Um, and so it's a bummer that they don't have it on the FX30. Um, next question. Next question from Danny Grizzle from Longview, Texas. Not happy to learn that G technology no longer supports the raids with updates to drivers and G Tech Assistant Utility Software. I've got a 100 terabyte RAID tower that will not mount following an update to Sonoma. What to do? Go, oh, Serge. What I will recommend is find yourself a, a Mac that is not updated with the older version of the driver. My second recommendation is to move the data from that storage to another storage. What you have in this case is a software RAID depending on the driver that's using the CPU of the machine to to do the RAID job. It's better to have a hardware RAID. A nice recommendation, I know it's really more expensive, but the Jellyfish that we saw a few weeks ago, it was really great in my mind. It's a full hardware. It's You will not have that kind of problem with that device. Good, Mitchell. A couple of years ago, I bought the, uh, the two-drive GTEC uh, raid from uh, GTAC Western Digital, I guess. And uh, the fan has failed on it. It just makes that sound that fans tend to do. And um, they are ignoring me right now. And it's still under a five-year warranty. So I'm not happy with that. Next question. Next question coming in from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. Morning, everyone. What is the panel's recommendation for a workflow, including hardware and software, to have real-time translation for an in-person event where attendees can listen to events using headphones? So um, the question really is, is that you, you know, real-time translation, and this is really interpretation um, that's going on to audio, is generally done by a person. Now, I do think that some version of this will start to happen with AI, but I haven't seen it happen in mass yet for this. So um, typically what, what we do for these kinds of interpretations is that we have interpreters listening to the show, talking into a, talking into a mic um, of multiple languages. And, and, and so, and we've had um, the most we've done a project with, I think is that I've done a project with, I think is 12. Um, the, um, 
I know His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I think they do 18. <laughs> like they do a lot of languages all at one time. And um, and so, and what's interesting there, they provide uh, little FM transmitters that don't go very far, like one watt. Everyone has a channel to go to for their for their language. <laughs> it's very, so that people can bring their, you know, it's BYO radio, BYOR, I guess. Um, anyway, so they can listen to it um, there. Now there are, what we get for a lot of the shows that we do in Europe and in, in, um, in other places, is you can get a, um, there are companies that will just bring all the belt packs and all the headsets and everything else for you. And then you provide those feeds back to them and they put it on a nice little channel thing and it and it, you rent it for the day. I don't know the name of, there's a, a couple of different ones and I don't know the name. Serge may, may have that information. Um, but in general, what you're doing is you're providing those, you know, again, the, the headset back. There are some emerging ones that are coming out on the phones. The problem with the phones has been latency, but with translation, it doesn't matter as much. So you can make it available on Wi-Fi and so on and so forth because if it's a little behind and a little out of sync, it's it's okay because the human latency of of interpretation is usually two to four seconds anyway. So um, so that's the you know that's the kind of the thing to to think about there. Yeah, go ahead, search. I don't have the info that you are uh, looking for, but I will say that as a bilingual person, you uh, watching a lot of TV that it's translated. What I hate is when they do the translation and still heard hearing the English original in behind. If you do a translation live with audio, be sure to cut completely the sound behind it because it's it's messing around. If you don't cut the sound, sometimes you just do subtitle and uh, sometimes it could work. So it's really depending the situation and depending the, the audience that you have. And if you're in person, you won't include any. So there's a, I mean, what Serge just touched on is the third rail, like everyone talks, like everyone discusses this of, do you hear the other person? Do you not hear the other person? How loud is the other person? We have hours of meetings about this and samples and process um, to, to figure out who wants what, like what gets really complicated is we've had ones where we had, um, uh, you know, you have an English speaker and a, and a uh, Hindu speaker, and we want one feed that has both of them and translates both directions. And so what we do is we have this cross section where we build this mix where you can hear the translator for the English in the background when the Hindu speaker speaking, you can hear the Hindu speaker translating in the background, kind of like a, a little extra that's there um, in the in the foreground, but that's for the stream or for a bro satellite broadcast. The For in-room, you're not gonna include any part of the, the person on stage because they can hear it. They're, they see the person. So they're putting a headset in and they're listening to it, um, you know, you know, through that. And again, there are, and I, I haven't done a project yet. I've done research on it where we've looked at projects where we're going to use people's phones. There's an app on the Android and iPhone. There's a couple of different services that will do that. And then you stream those and people just select the language that they want and you have it into a little local server. Um, you don't want to go out to the web if you can avoid it because, you know, a bunch of other, you know, so you, they get on the Wi-Fi. They, there's a little bit of a setup there. We've researched it and looked at it. We just haven't done it yet. Um, anyway, so, but but the main thing is, is that you are going to end up getting people right now to do that. Um, I do feel like AI, this is a place that's pretty ripe for AI to kind of jump in and start to make these things more available over time. Um, there, I believe that there are some, there are some headsets that people can buy themselves and translators on their own. But, and I think that some phone, you know, Google will do some of this as well. Um, but, but the, um, uh, 
I think that for you to provide that service, assume that you're going to have people doing it. My only recommendation past that is that the translators have their own little boxes that that do the, th we were talking about noise before. They have these little boxes they push buttons into so they can punch in and punch out. They sound horrible. They sound really horrible. And so uh, what we do is we try to persuade the translators to either let us give them like broadcast headset mics or even SM58s with switches so they can turn them on and off. We say, this is the switch you want to use. Or we give them what Bill has, which is these little, we try to teach them how to use these roles. Or we get the really nice, the the, re the really high-end interpreter controllers. And it, it is really much nicer to listen to when you don't have to listen to really bad audio. I know I'm, I'm super particular about it, but we've, even for the translators, we've done a lot of work to make sure that the audio sounds great um, to, to make that go. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. We've done some uh, outdoor events and believe it or not, um, used uh, the small FM uh, transmitters so that people great. listen in their cars. It's like a drive the, the trick. Here's the thing that makes the, the, the FM transmitter thing hard. Easy to do with one language, easy to do with two languages, hard to do with 14 because it's the way that you have to pack all the transmission you know, into the antennas and pedons and process, it turns out to be a non-trivial issue <laughs> to to do many, many languages. And, and you must be careful. Couple, yeah, you got to be careful. You got to be in the U.S. They got to be Type 15 accepted. You if you go in with a one watt FM transmitter, you're going to get into trouble. Nah, with the you might get into trouble. Uh, you know, like it's, probably it's, will. It, if, if you only do it for one day, the the, the the people who would complain don't have enough time to respond. Anyway, um, and it, a lot of times if you're in a venue, there's so much rebar it doesn't get out of the out of the venue. So we've done things in venues where we make sure it's clear because we knock it up, we turn it up to one watt or whatever, but it's not going to get through any of the walls because there's all that rebar and concrete. Um, next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. Thoughts on the announcement of the Panasonic AVH-SW10 compact switcher? Bill? Looks pretty interesting. Uh, let me pop up a picture of it here. Uh, it's a very compact form factor, well-designed. It's got a lot of cool things in it. Whenever I'm trying to figure out what a piece does, the first thing I do is go to the back. So let's go to the back of it for a second. I'm going to pop in. And there are a couple of things that was a little surprising to me. First of all, it looks like one through four are SDI ins, and it's only got two HDMI ins. So unlike the the Blackmagic Minis, it's not kind of a, uh, HDMI form factor uh headed up, but even though it's got SDI in, you're noticing unbalanced audio ins and really just one set of stereo ins or two mono if you want to do it that way. That kind of tells me that I'm not sure exactly what the market they're going for is. It's not a direct competitor to the ATEMs because the ATEMs are, are purely designed to be HDMI switches. Um, but this with the SDI kind of combination, I guess they, they must figure there are people who want kind of the more modern um, more modern SDI in and out, but still the old unbalanced audio. So that's interesting. It does have a USB stream out on it. And so obviously it's for more small, like remote uh, webcast, like what we do. So that's my initial thoughts on it. Odd little combination. Yeah, Courtney. Yeah, I looked at, uh, Bill covered a lot of the high points. A couple of other interesting things is it does have, unlike the... Uh, the the mini uh, mini pro from Blackmagic it has an aux output switcher on this one unlike the smaller HDMI minis um, it also has genlock in and out uh, for reference so if you're using it in in tandem with a professional situation where you want to genlock you've got pro cameras that, that accept external reference in it'll take um, either Blackburst or uh, tri-level sync input for genlock 
It has your T-bar, so you can play with that all day, uh, <laughs> which we talked about the other day. It has uh, also supports NDI, which Blackmagic doesn't. Uh, NDI output, it does streaming output, it does uh, outputs uh, that are SDI, HDMI, NDI, SRT, and RTMP for streaming. So it does all of those built in. Um, let's see, what other differences? It... it uh, it seems fairly compact, and I think they're going after the market where you're mixing more professional cameras like PTZ cameras that have uh, 3G SDI out with a few, a notebook or something else for doing graphics going in the HDMI inputs. So the fact that it, it mixes both, and Blackmagic has chosen to go either all SDI or all HDMI, but mixing the two, you have to use external little boxes to convert them. Uh, it has, supports tally lights uh, with a separate output. Um, yeah, I'd like to have seen balanced line inputs, but it has RCA inputs, which is better than the 3.5 millimeter mic level inputs. So at least it, it supports line level inputs, although they're high impedance. Uh, that's about my take on it. We haven't seen a price yet on it. I don't know, Bill, if you found a price in your, I did not. There. I looked around seeing if I could see it and B and H doesn't have five, it or anything. It's five or $6,000. I think yeah, it's five or $6,000. I can't remember whether it's five or six. I think it's like $6,000. It does have two keyers, uh, you know, two upstream yeah. downstream keyers. Uh, so you can do two picture in pictures, et cetera. So it's like a two ME. You go to Mitchell. Five grand for something that has RCA plugs on the back of it. I don't know. At least it should have T3, but I like the T bar. <laughs> the T-bar. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I don't see how... The, I mean, I, I used to own an HS50, which we used until it... Like, I mean, we just used it every day for a lot of things. So I've had it. Uh, the Panasonic stuff, I mean, there's a lot of things about it that are oftentimes a little bit backwards. I'd have to see how it handles still stores, how it handles... Because that that stuff has been a pain point for the 400, the 450, the 50, uh, all the th uh, switchers that I owned in the past. Um, and um, so these, these ones have always been a little bit... You know, I don't know how this gets competitive other than you're in an industrial setting that people are used to Panasonic. They have existing relationships. They have a, a system that they like to use and you're selling into that existing market. You're not, this is not a growth product. This is a support a legacy system product and it's effective at that. It's, a, it's an effective replacement for the HS50, um, which is what it, I think I'm guessing that it's replacing because NDI, so that's cool. Um, but uh, but outside of that, I think that it's it's just they're serving legacy clients with something that they're comfortable with because they're not ready to go into the black magic. But I don't see how this competes with. And if you're looking at it, you should also be considering a Roland. Yeah, so Roland and Black Magic, I think, are both innovating faster than what Panasonic has here. Next question, Brian Taylor from Washington D.C. What's the solution for extending an Apple Pro display and ports for external media 50 feet from a Mac Pro? I right, go ahead, Jason. As far as I know, there's only one way to do this, which is correctly, and it's going to cost real money. Um, Corning for a 50-foot cable is uh, just under $400. Keep in mind, it does not carry power, which, of course, is not a big deal for your specific use case. But, um, yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah, if you are trying to, and it depends on how, what kind of media you're trying, well, are you trying to extend the display itself or just all the media? If you're just trying to do, do all the media, the company to look for, again, this isn't a, this is not price sensitive, but... The company to look for for extending connections is IHSE. IHSE, they are the KVM solutions, but these are this is what we hook up like RS two thirty two for a a, a um, uh, you know for a replay system that's somewhere else in the building, <laughs> you know, like that. They're they're really high end. Uh, next question. 
Yeah, the previous question was a QR code question, by the way. Next question coming in from Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. Is there an alternative light to a Source 4 Leco that can take a gobo, but as a lower cost, used for interview recording, not stages? Thanks. Good, Bill. Yeah, there's zillions of them. Basically, a Leco uh, is an ellipsoidal spotlight. Here's a picture of a kind of a stage ellipsoidal spotlight. And the most important thing is the shape of the back end because it uses a focused type of mirror uh, and it really puts out a sharp edge beam. There are less expensive versions. If you search under pattern projector, most of them uses the same uh, ellipsoidal mirror technology to send out a focusable beam and any kind of pattern you put in a gobo that you stick in there for projecting a corporate loader or something like that will work as long as the light source is not an array of beads like in the, the panels. You want a single focused source of light. Now they have cobs, uh, chip on board lights that are focused like that. So you'll see a lot of these kind of things that use that cob light source, allow focusing and can do that search under pattern projector or ellipsoidal and you should find a lot of alternatives. Next question. Next one in from Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York. Charity gig, videoing a jazz singer friend in a local club with no PA. Couple of instruments have a couple of SM58s, Sennheiser shotgun, and Sony labs. No mixer. Easiest way to get semi-decent audio. Uh, that's a pretty complex one. Yeah, it's a complex one with what you have there. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Add a cheap mixer is one of the cheapest ways to do it. Uh, you're going to want to be able to balance stuff. And without a mixer, just by moving the microphones to achieve proper balance, that's going to be tough uh, to do, I tell you. you. You really need some way of controlling the levels of the microphones that are picking up the instruments and the singers. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Bill. Yeah, see, you're 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 down to using the club. It, you said it has no PA. Well, there's no reason to use microphones if you don't have some sort of amplification and speaker system in there. I mean, literally, you're going to have to have some kind of control unit. Even if you find an old used uh, Mackie sixteen oh four or something like that, you've got to get something in there, and you got to have a little amplification. If you're bringing your own, there's just really no way to do this sensibly without some kind of a mixing console to be able to balance the various microphones. Drums are very loud. Uh, singers are not as loud. And you got to make that work together. So you have to have something to control the volume of the pieces yeah. of the puzzle. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I agree with the uh, previous comments. Maybe it's better to use less microphones than more microphones without a mixer. Yeah, I'd be tempted to try to get some kind of omni and find the right place to put it if all I had was this. Like if I didn't have anything else, I mean, I'm not, you know, that that's something I think about. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, you also don't have on your list of stuff here something with a record button. So there's obviously more gear here than than you're telling us about. If it's jazz, I would just, and, and you're also not telling us like what kind of band, is it a band or is it a the jazz acapella? Singer. What's that? Yeah, with, with some jazz singer with a couple instruments. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's a piano and a, a upright bass. You, let us know. Got, let, yeah, let, send us another question either today or tomorrow, and let us know before we take this any further. What are you recording with? Like, how are you getting these into a record? Like, we want to know that because it's we got to figure out how you're actually recording this. You have some mics. 
Um, but you, you got to be putting it into something. So we'll, we'll come back to this one. Just, just give us a little more information. Yeah, you know, and real quickly, I'll say what one thing that I've done is I've used like a Zoom H4 or a, mm-hmm. whatever, and I just mounted on a railing overlooking the stage. Jazz mm-hmm. wants a sort of roomy feel anyway. It might, it might be just enough for what you need. Next question. Next one from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Logitech Reach. Has anyone had hands-on one yet? You know, I haven't played with it yet. I actually, although I actually just recommended it to somebody. I, I said, well, you t- I, 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 in Twitter, I asked, I told someone was looking, it's an artist who draws a lot. And I do think that for artists who want to draw and give you behind the scenes with, and they're doing it analog, it's a pretty efficient little system to do that with, with a webcam. Um, so um, so I, I recommended them to at least look at it. Um, but I haven't gotten to play with it yet. Um, it is, it. I'm tempted, really tempted because I have the, desk over here that it would be nice to have a kind of an overhead shot but i really need hdmi for that so anyway we'll we'll keep on looking at it i think if they sent it to me i'd look at it but i don't know if i'm ready to buy one yet next question andy kokendorfer from Vieira, florida asked do you use a Furman power conditioner with your home setup i go ahead mitchell i do i have a Furman here i, I, I forget the model but it says smp and evs lift whatever those things are yeah i go ahead courtney I just use a CyberPower uh, UPS, which has power conditioning built into it, and it comes with the ability to keep things running when the power goes out. Yeah, I I don't have I don't use I've used lots of Furman power conditioners uh, in production, but I right now I use UPSs. I have three UPSs in this room just to support the show, and um, and that's what I fifteen hundred APSs. Um, next question. Dan Shaw from Columbus, uh, Ohio. I'm just starting to learn about timecode when syncing video and audio. Is there any advantage to using timecode versus leveraging the audio waveforms in a multicam scenario when editing in Final Cut Pro? All right, this comes in from the QR code. Bill? Yeah, the short answer is yes. Timecode is always your best friend if you can get it. It is frame accurate and you can synchronize multiple cameras without really thinking about it. It'll always be exactly correct. Now, a lot of these software nowadays use sync on audio waveforms and it can be pretty good, but it's notable that in Final Cut, there's a hierarchy of what Final Cut looks at for syncing multicam. The first thing it looks for is some form of timecode, be that professional SMPTE timecode or camcorder timecode or something else. If it can get that, it wants it because it ups the accuracy and the ease of use. Then it drops down to things like audio waveform sync. That's gotten much better. But if you can keep time code through the process, please do. It'll make your life much easier. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, Dan, if in Final Cut, <clears throat> you can you can bypass that hierarchy that Bill is mentioning by turning it off of automatic and you can select, say, no, uh, ignore, ignore the hierarchy. Please do this. The big advantage to time code is that sometimes some sources don't have audio. So if you had, say, for example, a screen recorder that somebody didn't think to pipe the audio into, guess what? You can't sync with the with the with the audio. And that's a really difficult project. And I've, I've done it where you you're listening very carefully and you hear a little like, oh, he just clicked the advance the screen and you see the slide change and stuff. So um that that's a really good advantage. Uh also, uh, and Alex will tell you this, I've been doing this so long. I, I worked in this business for a decade before I ever had anything that was recorded with time code. You just, you get used to syncing stuff up. But Courtney? Yeah, it depends. For multi-camera work, you know, it's much better because uh, 
if your cameras support, you know, a built-in timecode generator that you can jam them. If not, there's uh, solutions like the Tentacle, which is a little timecode, jammable timecode generator that you plug into the microphone input. So in that way, it's not much difference than piping an audio feed into each of the cameras, but you are going to have to feed or the cameras are going to have to maintain either timecode or some type of uh, analog audio feed. If you use digital audio transmitters, you have to deal with latency and that may throw you out of sync a frame or two. So you have to keep that in mind as far as using audio to sync waveform wise. Uh, Timecode is the accepted method of uh, synchronizing multicam situations and it also syncs to the audio recorder as well which will have a timecode if you're doing double system audio. The audio recorder should have timecode as well. All right, next question. From Douglas Carmichael, what is the benefit of a global shutter? You know, I think that the the main thing with global shutter is is that in most cameras that we have, um, the basically it is a uh, it's scanning down the chip over time. <laughs> you know, so so when it doesn't have a global shutter, it is uh, it is basically it starts the top, and while it's capturing the frame, it's going from the top to the bottom. If your if your camera shakes a lot you end up with what we call jello vision because what's happening is, is it's moving back and forth. The chip is moving back and forth while it's being scanned. Um, and so uh, so that scan process is what most cameras work on. A global shutter fires that chip, um, fires off of that chip or collects all the light from that chip at every frame at one time. And it's much harder to do. It's a lot more data that it has to deal with. It's a lot more um, that, it, you, know, you know, it's going in. But what happens is it gets that one image altogether, which means you don't end up with jello vision. Um, and you don't end up with things that are basically stretching. You'll see this. Um, a good example is uh, if you watch someone take a picture of a plane and you'll notice that all of the propellers are curved, that's that's not global shutter. Go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, Alex covered almost all the high points there. Yeah, it has to do with, with uh, linearity of fast-moving objects in your frame. And usually uh, most cameras scan from bottom to top actually which is because the image is in first right. it looks top to bottom when you when you when you output it but um, it causes since it, it takes time to to sample each of those pixels and transfer them to their their data buffer uh, it uh, as you vary the exposure it just varies the amount of on time of the sample time for each pixel but it does that as it goes down the line to do that globally is very tough because you actually have to the way that the uh, the way that the sensors are designed, they're a photodiode and a transistor. The conventional rolling shutter is, and the transistor just dumps the uh, dumps the accumulating voltage in that photodiode, uh, and then that starts the exposure because it dumps it and then it opens up again, and so it starts collecting photons. The problem to do a global shutter is you've got to stop the light from from charging up the photodiode. And that can be difficult to stop the light as since you don't have a mechanical shutter cutting it off. And that's how they used to used to do global shutters uh, in, in a digital cameras sometime to, to get the same shutter speed as a, as a mechanical shutter film. They used to actually have a rotating shutter in front of the digital sensor, but they don't anymore. And so now they have to have a special sensor that has a way of stopping the diode from collecting photons without physically putting something in front of them and that's what makes it very difficult but mainly the the, the difference is linearity of uh, the the blur uh, so as something's moving in any direction either vertically or horizontally uh, it'll create blur over the exposure time 
with a uh, yeah. uh, and, non-global shutter. It and your next, it. your next question will be, why don't we still use shutters if, if the shutters were working? It's because we can do so many more things when we get rid of a mechanical shutter. So the 120 frame per second, 240 frame per so second, 480. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get to a point where we're, we're getting a camera that does 480 frames a second at 4K, and that's probably less than two years away. Um, it also does question. a short exposure time, an 80,000th of a second. You yeah, know. exactly. Next question. Nick Bat from the United Kingdom asks, has anyone found a more cost-effective collaborative cloud drive than Google Drive with a workspace domain account? We got 20 terabytes. Hard to beat, but I'm game. Every time Nick asks a question, I've been watching Nick for so long on YouTube, I'm like, Nick Bat watches our show. Anyways, hi, Nick. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Bill. <laughs> Nick, it's great to see you. I, it, it always scares me when I see the word collaborative cloud because I'm trying to define, you know, uh, do you really want to store like projects up there and have people collaborate on them? Or are you just talking about something where I can download the files from this project and all my friends can as well? That's a different kind of collaborative. I will say that I'm most of my that type of just I want material and I want my friends to be able to access. I just used Apple's iCloud system because I already bought into it. It's there. It's easy. Um, as you get past that, you get into the true collaborative stuff. There is just so much action in that space right now. I, like Alex, have been using Frame.io for years to be able to not only comment on collaborative content uh, assets, but also just uh, as a repository for a lot of making sure everybody's on the same page with projects. Uh, I'm moving that slowly because they just changed their terms of service at Frame. To Altheon.io, we've had Matt Simiglion uh, here a couple of times. It's an alternative. If you're in the Mac ecosystem, they are working very hard to make that a really solid choice as a collaborative tool in that bigger form of collaborative. But the bottom line is, what do you need and how much collaborative do you want? If you just want to download it, it's and pretty easy. If you want the rest, it's harder. And if you're talking about cost effective, no. You can find ones that are smoother, that are better, that look more professional. I don't think you're going to find anything less for the 20 ter at the 20 terabyte size. I don't think you're going to have anything cost less than Google Drive. Um, next question. Henry Ramos from Yonkers, New York, has a question. Has anyone ever had a MixPre lose USB output audio suddenly during operation? All else continued working fine. It required a power cycle to come back. It was left on overnight and happened the next day. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, definitely. Um, I found that um, my iMac, I had too, I just had too much stuff on the USB bus. There was just a ton of stuff plugged into it. The Mix Pre being one of them. And it would get, it would get, I don't know how to describe it, just get tired. It's like, yep, I'm going to start I, dropping things. I, my Mix Pre has to be unplugged and plugged in about once a week. Like it's it's in there all the time. It has its own bus. I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not on its own bus, but you, it has its own bus. Do you leave connection. the computer powered up? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. See, I, I power down every night and I thought that helped. Ultimately, I just ended up splitting. Um, now, what I do is I have one computer that I do Zoom and all communications with. That's what I'm on now. And then I have another computer that I do all my, my work on, my editing and, and I'm, whatnot. I'm in the process of separating that out. So I just have a Zoom machine and then my work machine. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, by putting less things by putting less things on the USB bus, it it relaxed it and it's been more reliable. Yeah. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael questions. Uh, has anyone ever used Nextcloud or a similar platform for self-hosted file storage and sharing? I haven't used Nextcloud. Um, there's so many. We were just talking about this. <laughs> so there's so many self. Uh, Nextcloud is one of the many. I'm not sure what distinguishes Nextcloud from everybody else. 
you know, whether it's Dropbox or Frame.io or Google I.O. or Altion or, or you know, or uh, Lucidlink or, you know, there's all these different things that you can use to collaborate or the, or the Blackmagic Cloud or, you know, all those things. I don't know what makes NextCloud different. So, um, uh, so you'd have to probably outline that for us. Uh, next question. Jeff Cohen from Miami Beach, Florida. I have two people recorded to one dialogue audio track. Any tools to break them apart to separate tracks? Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I do it the old-fashioned way. I've split tracks forever. Uh, the only problem we run into is when they both start talking at the same time, and then you've got a little bit of a, a dilemma there. Seems to me this is the perfect use of AI somewhere, somehow, with some plug-in. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I would talk to Peter Jackson. He's pretty good at doing this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like there's got to be an AI tool out there that does this. It just goes, give me the two different people on two different tracks. It feels like that's a that's a pretty easy one for AI to... That's a softball, but I don't, I, I, I have in the past just simply gone through and cut everybody apart and separated their tracks out. That's how I've done it in the past for the last, you know, 20 years. Uh, next question. Next one in from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. For live streaming the total solar eclipse, what's the most effective lens filter to capture it and protect the sensor? Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I can only think of one good way to do this. Um, and I did the eclipse for, for, um, what was it? Uh, NASASpaceflights.com. Thank you, Alex. The cable. That's just the cable. Just nope, that's the, the wrong thing. It's the wrong thing. Oh, man. Too many buttons. Yeah. There we go. And um, what I actually did was I had a second um, eclipse filter um, left over from the telescope, and I just taped it directly in front of there with a magic arm, and um, that worked really, really well. Yeah. Go ahead, Mitch. You know, it's amazing. All of a sudden, all my uh, uh, Amazon searches are uh, suggesting uh, screw-on lens, uh, lenses for my uh, uh, total eclipse of footage, some type of an ND filter, I'm sure. But uh, seems to me it's a uh, seller's market right now. It'll be a buyer's market uh, after the eclipse. Yeah, so um, this is the time to look at it and, and figure it out. And by the way, we put out on, on Discord and we'll send out on an email uh, your link that you can, um, next tomorrow you'll see it. Uh, we're six months away. Today is six months from uh, the total eclipse and we are going to build a team and figure out how to cover it. And we are looking for people that are interested. So um, if you are interested, look for in Discord. I did an at everyone from the Alex announcements today. You'll see it in the emails. I would sign up early so that we can, you'll be part of us figuring it out and talking about it. But uh, we're going to start warming up for that. And in general, for the most part, we're, for anything we're covering next year, uh, six months. If we, if you don't hear us do an announcement six months out, it's not happening. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, so we're, we're kind of moving things forward. Uh, next question. Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado. Could use a drone variable neutral density filter on my iPhone 15 Pro Max and control it with the Tilta Nucleus Nano, small rig 3010, mini follow focus, have mobile video kits for iPhone 15 Pro Max, Forty three ninety two ordered. Bill, real quick. Just uh, try it out and make sure it gets you what you want because a variable neutral density is really two polarized filters next to each other, and as they rotate, they cancel more and more of the light coming in. I have found a lot of visual anomalies using variable NDs, uh, so just make sure you yeah. test before you're using something for money. I have to admit I'm not a big fan of variable NDs. I had a lot of issues with them. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, and we're going to send a bunch of questions back. Just a quick reminder that if you're new to this, if you did a QR code, we'll bring it back in tomorrow. If you did, a, if you did, if you're in Mukana, we actually send these back to you directly. 
and they go into your little in inside of Makana, there's a little hamburger. We call it the hamburger. It's like three little lines up in the top. You click on that and we will have sent it back to your notes so you can resubmit it the next day. Um, so uh, so anyway, so we're gonna send a bunch of questions back, but they're not lost. They're simply going into tomorrow um, as we do those general questions. And so um, so just make sure to keep on asking those questions. It's great. Um, a quick reminder that tomorrow um, we will have the Final Cut. So the Final Cut Pro Summit update. So Bill Bill was there for two days. He's going to tell us what he saw, answer your questions, tell us the the state of things, the weather of things. Maybe we'll get Alex on if, if he's still around. Do you know if, I don't know if Alex went back or not. We'll see. He, I think he's still there. It's just finishing up today. So he's if he took all the time to fly in from London, he's got to yeah, be he's still, still there. Yeah. So maybe maybe we'll see if we can persuade him to jump on. Friday we That'd have building a multi uh, multi view tool for NDI. Elias Purin sorry Elias is going to be on to is is going to be on to show us that. So stay tuned. And now we're going to jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour and our lab, our lab. Um, um, I, I'm oh Chris, I'm just letting you know uh, for this lab. If, if you know what this means, right? Oh so, yes. So I'll have this. Alex one. and I talked about this. There will be moments in this where we will more than likely kill Alex's audio system, and so when you're doing something like this, is always good. And this was a bit of advice from from uh, Mickey. Mickey says whenever he's working with somebody, he always has a some sort of a back channel. So uh, I'll, uh, why don't you, do you want to call me or should I call you? I'm not going to do it right away. Anyway. Yeah, um, you, you can call me. I was going to say, turns out I can't already lost to Alex Zania. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, exactly. It was that quick. Um, yeah, so the, uh, let me see here. I, I'm just turning off my do not disturb. So. Oh, that's cool. You're doing bone conduction, cell phone backup. Yeah. So the reason that I got these in the, in the first place was specifically for this need, which is that I need to be able to be on comms or be able to hear a show and be on comms at the same time. So that is exactly why I got the bone conduction in the first place was to connect those together. Oops. Nice. Now I got everything is a science experiment with you. Uh, it is. Hold on. I'm going to pull one earbud out and I'm going to stick an AirPod in. That's what I'm going to do, people. Yeah, there anyway, you go. So, so, so Alex, I, I, I'm I, I'm going to admit I'm pretty nervous about this, mainly because I had some uh, issues with Nigel uh, yesterday, two days ago, and we can't. There's something going on with his system. We can't get it to work right. Well, let's find out. No. Yeah, like I don't here's know. the deal. Might be what I find with these labs is that I, you know, we people will learn by watching us struggle. It'll, it'll be painful for us. <laughs> We're gonna um, learn a lot then. <laughs> yeah. See, so it's our pain is your education. So anyway, so uh, so so I, I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. I mean, that's what I I guess I I really wanted to uh, when we started talking about these labs. I want to take risks. You know, I want us to kind of like like let's just see how it goes, and it may not always work out. And it's it's not a it's not a presentation. It's a yeah. Uh, it's us playing. So this we're gonna. Is, this is the anti-Alex. Alex exactly. is normally very risk adverse. Exactly. So to, to to be clear, what we're trying to do here is um, control the volume from individual apps, be able to listen to it, balance things out uh, to comfortable and useful mixes in our own ears but also be able to decide what we want to send out to Zoom or Teams or whatever it is you're using 
and that becomes important to, to have a flexible setup. And then the ideal thing is to get uh, hardware control. And ironically, we called this, you know, last week, we called it the Korg Nano thing. We never even touched the stupid Korg thing. So, um, Alex, let's review, let's review how far we got with your setup. Can you, can you bring yep. us up to date? Mm -hmm. There you go. So, um, so we have the, the loop back. We think is all set up the way it needed to be. Um, and then we, let's see here, let me uh, get to this full screen. Um, so you can see that we started, uh, we started naming these channels and when I think we ran out of, we ran out of time. Okay. Um, for some reason, these say off when I, I could have sworn we set these. Um, so I'm going to tell you uh, as a heads up that um, the save and open functionality yeah. of SoundDesk is kind of a crapshoot. It's <laughs> weird. I, well, I, don't I think really that I must have closed it. it and it didn't. So we wanted these to be um, input one and two. Is that right? Or input one on both of these? On channels A and B. Yeah. Also, Alex, Alex, your sound, your audio interface is sent to your set to your Dante virtual sound sound card. Right. So change it back to the. Oh, no. What was the um, sound desk in? And I want to thank. And the virtual device is disabled in loopback, so you're because I turned it off because it was it was conflicting with other things I was doing. Yep. Of course yeah. it was. Yeah, you know. So now we turn these on, right? Yeah, and, and this is a real gotcha, again, trying to do this live, because in order to set this up, you have to turn on that thing, but to turn on that thing, you may very well kill your issues. audio. You can still hear me yeah. now. I can still hear you, and you can hear me. Okay, great. All right, okay. so sound desk, and I'm going to pin you. Where are you? There you are. And I want to thank Mickey for throwing out those audibles. So he's he's fixing all that. So if you turn on the uh, SoundDesk input in loopback, turn on that virtual device. I did. You did? Okay. And so that's your map of how you want to patch things. So basically, the main thing is we want to turn on Zoom, Unity. Okay, so that's going to be one and one two. And two. Right? Yep. yep. And your players are going to be three and four. And I have no idea where your Unity and Zoom is. Let's see, and then scroll down. Uh, the there. next one is five and Unity six. is seven, eight, and this Zoom is why I don't is... want to cross the beams. All right, hold on. Let's see here. Um, Keep scrolling. You're gonna have to turn on that okay. Zoom. Five and six are is going zoom. to Zoom. All right, and actually, those are right. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Zoom is okay. over there on, on channel five and Unity is on six, which is, which are right. already right. So you can undo what you did just did on channel three. Oh, I see. I already put them over there. I got it. Okay. Yeah, put that to oh, off. that's why I was confused. All right. Uh, off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so what that means is... Now, Unity would you, be... It's Oh, Unity and... Yeah, we got it all there. Okay, great. Yep. So let's try something just to prove that this is is working. And I believe, actually, let's double check that you have um, sent the aux to the right place. Um, that's good that you saved that. Let's do one other thing while you're there. Go up to the file menu and say uh -huh. set default. 
I find that set default is more reliable than mm -hmm. saving the file, and I don't know why. It's bizarre. Copy that. Okay. That's next. So what I want to do is I want to I want to play something in your browser and see if we see it pop into channel one on the mixer. Okay. So why don't you fire something up in your browser? Oh, you want me to play? Something? You want me? I thought you. I want you to play something. I realized I have to do that. Hold on. Yeah, that's that's how words work. I hear there's a really good Marta, Margarita Mix video on the internet. <laughs> or maybe the remotes video that we so have here we to. So we have, uh, Tom will be okay with this, I think. Anyway, so, um, uh, so now it's playing. So so go over to channel one and push up the fader. Yep. There we go. Okay. Now go to channel eight. Go, go leave it up. Oh, and do you hear it? I don't hear it. Okay. But I don't know where I, my... I, I know why oh, but you I'm, don't hear it because we have some stuff to build yet. Yeah, yeah. But while that's up, push up fader eight or fader seven, the aux one, the blue one. Yeah, so that would—that's how you're going to send something out to Zoom, by having both of those faders out. So you can listen to it without sending it to me to audition it, um, right. or but to when, I, boot, when I bring up Ox One, is I'm sending it to you. You're going to. You're obviously not doing that yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go back to the loopback screen, and we probably have a couple of more modules that we have to build there. Okay. And I want to show you. Let me see. Oh, I also want to, if you don't mind, it occurred to me this week after somebody watched my demo, uh, watched this demo last week, he said to me, he goes, you know, you're out of sync. It was almost un unwatchable. <laughs> so I said, okay. Um, what I ended up doing is, you know, we made the my mic feed and I apologize people. This is, we're not doing any sort of intro here. Go watch last week to get up to speed. Um, but I modified the my mic by creating a audio delay in um, audio hijack. And this is why I always tell people, if you're going to buy loopback, just buy audio hijack. You never know when you're going to need it and you're going to save money by buying them both. So I built a little thing. And what I did is I created another um, sound desk patch called my mic delayed. Okay. And I, I literally just made a thing called my mic delayed. And then I saved it and I was done and I gave it an output. And then what I did is in audio hijack, I took my mic, I put a delay between it and the output called my mic delayed. And then I created another output called my mic delayed. Now this is beyond the scope of what we're actually doing here, but I just wanted to say that that's, that's another way. Um, uh, if you, if it turns out you need some delay, that that's a way to do that. Okay. So Alex, uh, looking at yours, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to make two more presets, add new virtual device, call one mix pre to zoom. Okay. And then I want you to make another one and call it, uh, input to mix pre to listen. 
All right. So on input to mix pre to listen, this is what I need you to build. And I'm going to show you that here. Let me just zoom this a little better. So what you want to do is you want to create, um, you have the, you have the pass through, add another source in the center, in the left column, and you want to find your device called sound desk output. And uh, in, in the sources column, yep, hit plus, sound desk output. Right. Not the sound desk. You made a device called sound. You made a virtual patch called sound desk output. It's way down at the bottom. Okay. So this is interesting. We're making sound. We're making loopback patches and putting loopback patches inside of loopback patches. So we're doing loopback inception here. Very meta. And and then what you want to do is you want to create add a monitor. And you can see on mine, you, you're going to need your mix pre input, your mix pre 3, and you're going to patch that into the two channels that you normally listen to, which I believe is 1 and 2. Correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what this allows us to do here, let, let's, let's look at this map uh, on mine. What right, this allows so me to do is to listen to outputs 1 and 2 from my mixer, and it, and it patches it into where I listen to things in my mix pre. And, and that output from the mixer is all of the applications that I have stolen away, so to speak, from the rest of the Mac. And then the pass-through is everything else that I didn't specifically address. That way you still hear like system chimes and anything you didn't think about. But it's not part of your mix. And it also means that once it's not part of your mix, it means you can't send it out to Zoom. So anything that you were that you happen to hear through pass-through, you're not going to hear on Zoom. Does that make sense? Yep. This is so outputs one, two from the sound desk output is how you listen to the master output, so let me go out on mine, that's how I get to listen to these two outputs, one and two. Oh, so, so that's, the next, so the, no, these are your, these are your listeners, right? Yep, so the, so you can so if push I move that, that up, up, yep. And then I move, and then I play something, I should hear something. You, it might work, yeah, yeah. It does not. So, okay. oh, wait, no, that's not it. No. Um, yeah, so I don't hear anything, and also sound desk output here isn't. Let's take a look at sound desk output because it's not. Um, so we're not really seeing. I don't think it we've. Yet. I don't think we've connected anything yet there, because sound desk output is not showing any output. Yeah, I understand that, and and, and we're kind of pre-building a few things. It what okay. it might be. Uh, let, let me see the audio. Uh, move that sound, uh, move that loopback window out of the way. So your sound desk output is patched. It does appear like it should be feeding sound out of that mixer. And bring up the loopback again. Mickey's what about is? to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Ah, thank you. Uh, click on the, the, the mixer window. Bring it forward. 
Okay, so down at the bottom, in the lower left-hand corner there, it says left out is off and right out is off. Change those to channels one and two. Output one and output two. You probably yep, hear can hear now. You okay, hear now. that's good. Now, while we're at it, on the aux out, sent where it says master, master, on the, the fader number seven, uh-huh. the blue one, the blue fader, Yep. change that to three, four. Thank you, and by the way, Mickey is so much better at this than me, and if without him, this would be a disaster. And change that to four, and then under, on the far right side of the mixer where it says stereo out, there's a knob halfway down. Right underneath that, there's two more offs left, and change those to five and six. Yeah. Save your default um, set. Now, again, because we've made some substantive changes here. Is it just save or? Yeah, save. You could save, yes, but also save your default setting too. The default setting is just what's going to. You say save as default or set as default? Set as default and go ahead and save your, your patch as well. Now, okay. If you're having a hard time hearing me, you can reach over to that fader one and pull it down a little and still be able to hear the music or whatever it is you're listening to and me. Yep. And now for yucks, no. Now let's explain go back what to we it. just did there, because I don't I actually don't understand what I just did there. So so every time you set up a mixer, Alex, if you don't patch a cable into the output, you're not gonna hear it. No, I understand, I understand the out left out, right out. I don't understand the three and four and the Five and well, six. Th- those are those are more outputs. You're building okay. a mixer that has six outputs. The left right. to right's the easy part. This is why I always say when you're buying a mixer, your outputs are more important than your inputs. So right. we're, we're we're we just built a powerful mixer here. We have a left to right out, but we also have an aux out, and we have a utility out to drive our speakers in the room. Right, which is kind of cool. Looks like your YouTube video stopped. It's going to make troubles troubleshooting hard. Okay, so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to we're going to create the um, send to zoom. So go back to loopback. It's called. Um, click on the loopback window. Okay. And click on the patch called mix pre to zoom. Uh, mix pre to zoom. The okay. second one. All right. So what you want to do here is you want to create under sources, pick your mix pre out source. It's going to be mm-hmm. down at the bottom again. It's probably looks like it might be off your window. Output. Yep. Sound desk output. Yep. And you can kill the two patch cables that that are currently built, the one and two outputs. You can delete those. Yeah, you made that window really tall. Now it's a problem, isn't it? I was trying to select everything. Hold on. Why it's not doing this. I think it's a miss. There you go. So delete those and draw patches from three and four because this is what we're going to send out to Zoom and we already determined that it's output number three and output number four. And then you can delete that pass-through. That's a a bozo no-no. Delete that thing. And this is where, so if this is what you're sending to Zoom, one of the main things, Alex, that you need to send to Zoom 
is your mouth hole, your voice. Mm-hmm. So you need to create a new pa- a, a new source in the I, source column. I have okay because I have a source that's my mic, right? Yeah, but but in the source column, I need to put it at in. the plus button and select the thing called my mic. Yeah, so now there and we that, go. That is where you are going out to Zoom. Right. All right. Now, this is where it's going to get dicey. So go ahead and talk into that. Check one, two, check, check, check. All right. Now go back to your YouTube video and press play again. It's playing. Oh, is it? Okay. You can see it. Then, and it's, it's very low. So push the fader up a little bit. And now take your aux send, your blue fader, and push that up. All right, and now click on the sound uh, the uh, the loopback window, and we can see it. We can see it mixing. Right. One and two are playing, so that you can hear. Three and four are playing and patched into the output for me, so I can hear it. I don't hear it yet. And if you talk, check, check, check. There's your mic talking check. now. Yep. Now the the next step is to go over to Zoom, and to pick a new microphone in Zoom. And call it, and and the thing that you want to choose for your mic is now going to be called Mix Pre to Zoom. So change your mic input on Zoom. I've changed it. Can you hear it? I can. Now make sure your original sound is turned off. On, off, or on? Uh, original sound for musicians on. Yeah. I, <laughs> you Rick rolled me. Good grief. <laughs> Nice. Very nice. That was awesome. (laughs) Copyright. Turn it down. Turn it down. Now I am not the most recent person on office hours to get Rickrolled. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) Okay, so kill that. Thank you for the copyright warning. Okay, that was brilliant, Alex. You you win the internet today. Gadzooks. Okay. So now... You have the ability to play currently browsers and your media players out to Zoom if you push up Fader 1 and 2 and if you push up the um, the aux feed. Right. Okay? So I, right. Okay. And, and as it turns out, original sound works really But right now my hard. mic is not part of this, right? Not no, part it of this is. mix. You're in it because right, you're hard patched in the I'm Zoom. But I'm hard patched, it, but I can't control. So I, I couldn't. I still use my mix pre to control my own mic. I can't. Yeah. I'm not controlling yes. it here. This is controlling the down. But I could if your I wanted to. Does not, your mic will not appear in this mixer, nor should it. Right. Well, maybe. Maybe I want that. Okay. If you wanted to do that, that's fine. But it, but it should, at that point, it would only ever be sent to the aux output. Because if you listen right. to it through the oh, one, I'll, two, I'll it'll, the there'll be latency. It'll make me sad. Okay. And if you recall, on, on our objectives on day one, yep. step one is zero latency self-monitoring. Right. Okay, so it's working. Okay, so so that's really the, the core of it. And I'm was that the I part feel, that didn't work before? Okay, so now let's double check something. Take fader one, uh, f- turn down the aux fade, so that I don't hear it. Yeah. Turn down fader one. Hmm. And press play on your Rick Astley music video. <laughs> do you hear it? I do not hear it. That's awesome. So push up Fader 1 again. That's so funny. I hear it. 
Okay, that's awesome. So the problem I had with with um, Nigel yesterday was that um, he was still hearing it, and I think it's something in his mix pre. Okay, so this is awesome. The next step I think we want to do here then, um, well, one thing I would do, and you, you'll do this at your leisure, on your channel four, I would pick your, the, uh, for a sound source, I would pick your, your black magic. Um, label it, go ahead on the channel strip and label it, call it, you know, ATEM or black magic or whatever you want to call it. Okay. And then you're going to have to go reference your loopback patch to figure out what channel that you patch that into. Cause I think we did that. So you want to look at, uh, input to sound desk. Yeah. And did we add black magic in there? I, I don't, don't know that we, we did last week. So we can add that, right? Yeah. So add one more source up there at the sources and you'll somewhere in there, you'll see your, your black magic design about two thirds of the way down. Yep. It's going to put it wherever it wants. You're going to break the patches ten. that are going into inputs one and two, break those two patches. And send that to nine and 10. Wherever you want. You're going to redo this anyway because you think you're going to live in a world where streams don't cross and you will. Trust me. Not. So 9 and 10. So go back to the sound desk patch and patch on the ATEM channel 4. Select 9 and 10. Whoa. Boy, that did something weird. Hold Pretty on. soon here we're going to get to the Korg. <laughs> we, we have sold it as the cord billboard feature i, know. I told you I you know this is how we draw it out because next week we'll be like and now we're really getting to the cord all right the ultimate tease so yeah. if you play something that has audio on your atem you should see it there and i believe you've already patched that uh, sent that to aux one hold on let me uh I don't know. My ATEM is not really built for that. Hold on. Let me see if I have something that's sending audio. Uh, Your ATEM is built the same way as mine. And no, mine I mean, does I, it, I don't so have anything. I'm, I don't have anything that I send to my ATEM. That's the problem. Uh, let me see here. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's not go down that path yeah, because we'll it, it it, it's going to involve you pushing those buttons that you never push. So I know, I'll so. let you do that on your own time. Let's, let's, uh, is your cord plugged into the, this Mac? It is. Okay. So the next step is um, let's get the Korg software open. And it's called Korg Control Editor mm -hmm. with two Ks. I has it. Very good. All right. So if you look at... This is like the most... I mean, as a as a Mac user, you're like, what? Like, like you know, like there's a little like, uh, it's, we it's, don't. It's super ugly. Yeah. Like now, now there, there's little, a window you'll see. Korg, like a little effort, like a little, like a little. There's effort. a window That's you'll see before that one, and and it looks like this. And if I double click oh, on I... this, it pops open this. Now these yeah. numbers here that I've done, I've mm -hmm. since learned I I worked a lot harder than I need to. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to move, I'm going to set this over here, and in the lower left-hand corner of the master section mm -hmm. on your mixer, click this little gear. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Now, 
what you're going to want to do. And I don't know. I, I, I referenced this in the video. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. So under protocol, set that to CC. There's different protocols. And then on the first pull down here, the upper left hand, select on that and go down to Korg Nano Controller. Mm -hmm. All right. So now what you want to do is, and don't look at my numbers here. I worked harder than you're going to work. Okay. What you want to do is your, so the, the CC0 that's underneath fader number one in your software in your in your Korg software there, mm -hmm. that means that the faders start at zero. So on the sound desk window where it says 81 next to fader, change that to a zero. So what it's what what you're telling it now is you're saying starting at CC zero for eight faders, use zero through seven. Now under pan, uh, that's the knob. So on oh, yours, it, it says, yeah, it works. What? What? So much fun. Okay, now under pan, your pan knobs are starting at 16. So on the software, change that to 16. All right. And then on the solo buttons, those start at... Whoa, so I got a question about that, actually. Why are there... Oh. Under solo, put 32. That's weird. All right. Um, uh, under solo, put, you said two? 32. 32. And I'm just reading the numbers that are on the Korg software over there. And then under mute, put 48. And under, uh, there's no PFL button. Okay, so you're basically good. Hit close on that. Wait, hold on, I'm, I'm in an infinite. Hold on, forty-eight. It's not letting me. Uh... I'm trying to type the number. Oh, there we go. Just wasn't letting me put that in there. All right, so so I can close this. So yep. I didn't do anything with Korg other than know what numbers to poke into. You have to know what numbers to type in. What I had done on my system is I did it backwards. I tried to tell the Korg what the sound desk was, and it meant a bunch of extra work. So this is just much easier. So you can go and, and close the, the Korg. And then the R is the records, but we're not doing that, right? Yeah, it, we're not going to use that. Okay, I got it. Okay, great. Um, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. What are you doing? It, it asked me to save the Korg. Yeah, you don't need to. Okay. That's all the default settings inside the core. Just hit no. I could, I could change the numbers if I wanted to. You could. You could, yeah. All right. So close the the panel, the, the MIDI control panel on the sound desk. Oh. Uh, Down at the bottom. And go ahead and play your, play your Rick roll again. Okay. Now go back up to push up your fader one. With my fader. With your fader. Grab your pan knob. It looks like it's all already panned f full left. Oh. So go ahead. There you go. You can pan that the, wherever you want. It's a weird... I, I don't understand the... 
pan nomenclature with two knobs like that. I guess it kind of makes sense because it's... You still there? It's a weird... Uh, it's one, one knob controls those two knobs. It is weird. You push the fader back up or you're not going to hear it. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to get it to center detent. Yeah, I'm not going to do that very often. All right, here we go. <laughs> I did that with my mouse. Like, enough. Uh, yeah, you can't. Um... Well, well, now you're not stereo. You have dual mono. All right, okay. Okay. Okay, push the fader up. You should be able to hear it. Are you doing that with the Korg? Did, did you push that? I saw your mouse reach for it. Are you using the Korg, yes or no? Are you still there, Alex? Or are you fascinated with remote-controlled faders? Alex, can you hear me? He's no stranger to love. Here's where that secondary communication system comes in, guys. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. The bone conduction system is working. But I don't understand why we just we just lost him. I am currently to call Mr. Lindsay. Alex, why did we lose you? What's the easiest way to find his number? I got his voicemail. Well, we lost him. Call me. Call me, Alex. It's live demo time. Oh, here we go. There you go. He's calling in. I don't know how we lo I don't know how we lost each other. Okay, so he's saying he's saying that the pan knob somehow affected that. So let's let's double check Let's double check something because your voice doesn't even go through this mixer, which is, you know, interesting. Um, click back on the on the loopback. I'm I'm concerned that there's a yellow missing audio source there. Click on my mic. Turn on and off the mix pre in this patch. That button right there, or turn off and on, I guess I should have said. The input source mix pre does not appear to be affected by your Mac. Okay, uh, Mickey is talking to me, uh, and he's going to tell you what to do. Alex, can you... Alex, hold on. This is coming from Mickey. Open up the activity monitor. Uh, 
I'm glad I put my phone in this ear, Mickey, because otherwise I wouldn't be hearing you because you're only in this ear. Okay, activity monitor's open. Go to view and select all processes. Check, check, check. Can you hear me okay? There you I are. Hear You're back. You in Zoom now. You're back. Yeah, I would like to explain what happened. It's really super technical. Um, <laughs> so when I turned the, the the MIDI controller, is sitting on top of my sound devices. <laughs> no, my my, my 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 studio technologies. My my mute. <laughs> so when we are I, true when professionals I, when i moved the, when i moved the, <laughs> 10 the zillion knob, connections when i moved and it the was knob the thing it that's... happened to hit the mute but then it was in front of it, so i didn't see it <laughs> anyway sorry okay everything's working fine now sorry about that uh, did I, someone I, plug it in i could have hey hey i could have just talked over it and said i don't know what happened uh it must have been a technical <laughs> issue but no it Lynch. was a user error let, let me let's just test this to make sure let me uh, I, I just want to make sure that that wasn't that that was not the, so we go back so we're rick rolling and i am now listening to it i'm gonna pan it that was really funny yeah okay so that's all working the way we expected to you guys can still hear me i can still hear you and then if but i we don't hear we don't use, hear Rick Astley. push up fader seven okay. Got it. turn it off don't get copyright and then yep yep now it so I, the only thing i would say is that it for me it feels like the main out should be going to um other people listening not the ox out like the ox I disagree. out okay all right because i feel like because, that's the main show that's the main show like that's for me that's like that's no it's the not show. the main show you're the main show i'm the main show you are so you are selectively me, me, me. you are selectively this is I, i'm not saying we're going to do a broadcast like this this is for you this is a a complex headphone mixer that allows you to in a meeting to say here let me play you something here uh, as an example of how we should do this, roll, roll tape. Right. Push the fader out. Mm -hmm. Now, did you, did you by any chance go to uh, the store and pick up <laughs> your nail polish? <laughs> uh, no, because I have, my, my mixer is brought to you by Brother Cube. Yeah, but you still, the P -touch. I, I, like, I like seeing... I like seeing the the thing. It's just easy to, to see it and grab it, you know? Oh, I see. You colored the... Um, yes. Can you pull yes. those off? Yeah, you just pop them off. Just pull. It's, we live in a world that was assembled one piece at a time, which means you can usually take it apart one piece at a time. Just put your fingernails underneath it and pull it no, up. No, I pulled one up. I pulled one of them looking at it. I'm like, I yeah. to, I'm going to print ones. You're gonna print colored ones. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm gonna have one. I'm gonna have. 
anyway. you can have them look like uh, whatever. So uh, that works. Now, what I would recommend, let's try this because that went smoother than I thought it was going to take. Uh-huh. In your ATEM, I know that you have multiple Macs attached to your ATEM, correct? Yeah, I can I can get another Mac up. Let me give me one second. Here. So so plug on one of the piece. Could you put anything that makes noise? QuickTime movie, an, another browser window, maybe something other than Rick Astley. Yeah, hold on one second. <laughs> let me. Did you hear the story? Rick, was it you who told me this, that Rick Astley didn't know what Rick Rolling was until his daughter explained it to him? Yeah. Well, he was, yeah, he was yeah, way he was late to it. Like he, was, he just didn't, yeah, it wasn't a... As soon as he got that royalty check. So what you're going to want to do, Alex, is on your, uh, on your ATEM control panel software like I have here, if you go into the audio sub-tab... You want to turn on any channel that you might want to play audio from. And while you're at it, you can, you can use the audio follow video. Not yeah, just give me one second. Button. I'm just trying to. There's something wrong with the computer here. Hold on. Just give me one second. This was a new thing I didn't expect. All right. I'm going to hang up the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. That's pretty funny. Your mute button. My mute button? Oh, yeah. So, Alex, do you want to tell us what you're doing so we have a little bit less dead air? Yeah, my display my display has gone... Um, My, uh, the display for my computer, for, for whatever reason, this, uh, for my, my display computer, for some reason, switched to like a weird 720p thing. And then I'm just trying to get both of the displays to go back to 1080. And I don't know why they're, um, let's see here. Well, I'll tell you what, while you're doing that, let me... Let me show a few um, a few slides here. Uh, so this is what we just did today. We finished off the output section of the mixer. In the upper left-hand corner, you can see the aggregate audio device that we created called SoundDesk Input, and that allowed us to pick which apps that we wanted to plug into. I don't know why I have the QuickTime icon there twice. Um, which apps we wanted to plug into the SoundDesk mixer, and we did it through the aggregate audio device. And then on the right-hand side of the screen, we have the three different output modules that hey, we have to got build. A, someone's got a lawnmower in the background. That's me. Or, that's oh, me. That's okay, I okay, can't yeah, control that. No, that's fine. As long as it's you. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, apologize about that. I could... Hey, hold on. Let's try something crazy. Boom. Boom. Is that better? I went I, w I went full ham on this noise assist at minus twenty dB. Um, it's it's better, definitely. Okay, so on the right hand side of this slide, you see that there's three uh, loop back 
modules that we had to create. The first is the one called Sound Desk Output, and we had to create that first because we're actually using that on the other two. And on the Sound Desk Output, we patched, we created six outputs. And those six outputs are for channel one, two, three, and four. One, two are our are what we listen to, three, four is what we send out to Zoom, and five and six is what we send to speakers in the control room. The next output that we make includes the thing called sound desk output, and I apologize that that sound desk output in this image doesn't include all six outputs because I made this still too a long, a long time ago. But those primary outputs go into our listening device. And in this instance, I'm, we're using a mix pre, I'm using a six and Alex is using a three. And then the third output module, this actually has all six outputs that we have to create. We call it mix pre to zoom. And that takes channels three and four, which is our aux output from the sound desk mixer, patches it into an imaginary output called uh, one, two. And then we gang in our, uh, our my mic patch, which is the, which is the, um, actually I did it differently. I actually hard patched it from the, the mixer. In Alex's instance, we actually used the, the, the module called my mic and we patched that into the, th the one, two. Now it is possible that you could gang some of this stuff into one module. However, it would require that you use a feature in zoom that I don't necessarily recommend using. I like that they have it. I think it's really powerful that they have it. But if I, it, and the feature is where you can select which outputs from your audio device Zoom grabs onto. The problem with leaning heavily into that technology is if you get forced into a Teams meeting or a Google, whatever the other ones are called, you can't use the thing called output to Zoom. And and I use output to Zoom in Teams, and I use it in hey, any hey, Mike, other. I'm gonna have you keep talking. I gotta I gotta get a I gotta get the door. What do you think I've been doing for the last five minutes? I know. Yeah, I'm go ahead. You, you could you could do your little thing. I can, I'll hold down the fort here. Okay, he's gone. What do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> um, so so, um, so by it's called output to Zoom, but I use it in any sort of video conferencing because it allows me to selectively send apps to broadcast and it allows me to send send my voice. He went, what do you, you do, go get a package? I don't think he's- This is nail polish right there. <laughs> it's his nail polish. So it's an emergency overnight nail polish. That's what, I, that's what I allude to in, in this slide here, that yes, you could create some of those things together, but you're better off having a single device called output to zoom because that way you can um, you can use it for other devices and then okay and then this was how we went in and we we dialed in all the numbers for the for the Korg and as long as the numbers on the Korg display and the and on the uh, uh, the sound desk line up then you got yourself a uh, a remote control uh, Korg device-y thing. Bob's your uncle. You're all done. Cool. Alex, does it work? It does, I think. Hold on. Let me... It's it's only going into the left channel. And I'm looking for... Oh, pan. Okay, hold on. Uh, there we go. Hold on. You have pan knobs on your Korg also. I, 
oh, but I have pan, but I needed to get the pan fixed in my ATEM. The ATEM was panned all over to one ah, side. Ah. No, I don't know why I've never used it. Um, so, um, so anyway, uh, so now if we, uh, let's see if I cut over, yeah, there we go. Um, so now you can see stuff going here. Yeah. Oops, so now I push that. I won't do that with push this. Push up the I'll, Oxen I'll do, fader and we'll hear it too. There we go there. And then if I, I can, I, I can hear it and I can. Put, I, yeah. I leave those masters up all the time. Yep. We hear that. Very good. And you still hear it. We don't hear it. Yep. Slick. Slick. It's slick. Slick. Uh, like Rick. No, we still have 10 questions. We have about oh, 10 we're, we're, eight oh, questions. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. Thanks. We forgot Let's about do some questions. questions. Let's do the questions. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, everybody. <laughs> we're so working on it. All right. Go ahead. Uh, All right. Uh, here's question. Samuel Nordvik from Norway asking, can the sound devices mix pre-3 be controlled remotely, and can it save and recall presets? Uh, no, um, you can you can <coughs> you can you can save reset. You can save presets. Um, uh, you know, so the um, oh, so Mickey says that you can uh, you can be controlled remotely via a few select MIDI controllers, class compliant USB keyboard, and a transport metadata control, and the Wingman app. Yeah, so we've done. Uh, we we have been able we use wingman to to control it you just don't have all the controls over it so you have some of the controls over it but you don't have all of the controls over it over that um and so we i feel like they, they could have done more anyway go ahead go ahead chris but yeah if you can get it over vpn or over screen share we, what we've done is vpn and screen share over a mac mini and then we have it on the other side to to make that actually happen go ahead chris uh i'm not i don't have my hand up Oh, you had something. I thought you had something that you were going to show. There. Oh, I was just—I was just putting up some art. This is my little setup here. Where? Yeah, there you go. Look at that. It's so pretty. Um, all right. Next question. Nick Bat from the United Kingdom asks: I used to use the Nano Control, but found the driver would drop the connection after a while in Windows. Have you ever had that issue? I moved to the Akai APC Mini. I go ahead, Chris. Uh, to be clear, I'm using a Mac, and I have not had it lose control over the thing. No. I will say that the Akai, I was very tempted to get the Akai because it looks really cool. So, and now that Nick has said that it's cool, yeah, maybe it looks, it, it, that looks like a really, really um, very full featured system. By the way, Alex, in the first hour toward the end, you used the phrase, um, I think you said financially sensitive or budget sensitive. I was like, oh, there's a phrase I've never heard Alex ever, ever say. <laughs> I've been, I've been a little, it's a little, it's, I've been, I've been having a lot of expenses <laughs> related it's to the, the new move softer, and Alex. I like it. I yeah, like yeah, it. yeah, exactly. Um, next question. David Brady in New York, New York. I have a Behringer BCF 2000 I'm trying to use instead of the Korg Nano Control. It's set up in Mackie Control Mode. When I move any of the faders, they automatically return to the default position. Any ideas? Ouch. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, Go yeah, that's another. It's another one of the protocols. What did you say, Chris? Jason has input. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Jason. 
Um, so uh, the issue, I've run into that issue, not with that specific unit, but um, usually with a fader, that just means that something about the MIDI protocol isn't showing the full reach of the fader. So it's just kind of going back down because the range is out of range. And make sure that you're also sending MIDI, you know, so if you followed exactly the instructions that we had here, you would not be, you were, um, and you may already do this, David, but but the MIDI control, um, let's see here. Uh, you have to make sure you're sending and receiving. Where did we open that? Where did we open the MIDI control? Um, I, I don't know that we saw any. It, yeah, David, there's an, out, there's an input and an output. This. No, here's why, here's why, Chris, is that there's an input and an output, and the B that that the BCF two thousand is a motorized slit, um, faders. So if it doesn't, if it's not getting a return, that fader is going to go right back down to the bottom again. So it's going to snap oh, down. Um, so I think that you have to make sure that you've mapped not only the inputs, but the outputs. Because right now with ours, the way we have the setup, we're not mapping outputs. We're only mapping hmm. the inputs. So you have to make sure that the outputs are mapped properly or that or that motorized slater will drop down. By the way, I used to own a lot of BCFs from 2000s. They're awesome. <laughs> so anyway, so. And I'll say, David, that this is the first time I've ever gotten done, done this. So you're light years ahead of me and Alex is probably right. Uh, next question. Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. How do you check that the output level of additionally played content is going out at the right level? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I watch the meters. I can't, I can't hear what you're hearing, but if I put it, but if I put the Oxend at unity and I, then I grab the the channel, you know, like let's say I'm playing QuickTime or a browser, I just I listen to it. And again, Stefan, I'm not I'm not trying to mix a show here. I'm just letting people listen to things in a Zoom meeting. You know, so it's it's not super critical, but you can look at the meters on the Soundesk software. Oh, interesting. Um that's weird. Check, check, check. No. Mickey, why what? are you asking me a question that just makes me look dumb? I don't know why MIDI CC is preferred. It's just what worked. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ahead <laughs> on the next. I'm up on the next question here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, go ahead, next question. And I think it just got answered from Mickey Makachor in Manila, Philippines. Why is MIDI CC mode preferred for this use case, Chris? And the answer so, is M Mickey, I'm going to ask you: Would other modes work? I don't know. It just it just worked for me. Mickey's yeah, going to bed. Okay, next question. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, next question. Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. What causes Soundesk to lose its input selection? This happens several times during the setup. Yeah, so Stefan, that I know. So here's a, a couple of gotchas with Soundesk. Don't go to your Soundesk patch and say, you know what? I'm going to add another input. And like, go try to add an input while it's already patched in because it'll crash. Like, just guaranteed, it'll crash. So, um, and then the way the reason it loses the inputs is if that loopback patch gets turned off, all of a sudden the sound desk is like, oh, I don't know what this is, and it'll just put everything back to default because the thing that it's looking for to be patched in is no longer there. So, you know, you. you you got to make sure everybody's happy at the same time. Next, Next question. question. Douglas Carmichael, um, would there be any sound desk like solutions with lower latency? 
I noticed that running synths through SoundDesk make them a lot less playable. That makes sense. I don't know. I, latency, I, I'll say this, that latency in this kind of world has plagued me for uh, ever. Like, I've never, I can remember the first time, like, I thought, you know what, this would be really cool. I'm going to set up, uh, uh, what is it, Logic. And it's like, I just, I, you can't speak right. with latency. You just can't. So I, I don't really have an answer for you. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm uh I'm answering, I was, the reason I've been a little distracted is I'm, I'm answering the last question, um, uh, which was, you know, how do you know what level? So here is what I've done, which is, you know, a little absurd, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. So this is, um, this is Sonic Atom. And what I did, of course, in Sonic Atom is I mapped mix. Mix pre, We're not oh, seeing you. I don't think you're sorry. doing a screen share. Um, mix pre. So this is Sonic Atom. This is just my my monitoring tool. And so I have mix pre to zoom is now set to Sonic Atom. So now I can see my output um, that's there. So if I, you know, um, uh, so if I was playing music, I can, you know, I can see my output. So if I, if I bring this up uh, here, so I'm going to. Um, use your control panel. I'm going to use my control panel. I'm going to bring this up. And then I'm going to bring this up to here. So now you're not seeing, so I can see that we're not, you know. There you go. So that's the, so I can, you can, cool. if you, so if you want to know, um, if you want to know how, if you want to know exactly what you're sending out, What's kind of cool about that is that you have a metering system. There's a lot of meters in, in um, this, this is just the history, but there's, you know, I can have Legion Zoom meters and all kinds of other meters, but you can, so you're mapping what you're sending to Zoom. And that is really the, you know, the mathematical, like this is what you're sending to Zoom and you can map it in many, many different um, uh, graphs. So that's Sonic Atom by, um, by. But again, uh, web. Yeah. Audio lab. Oh, interesting. Really so, but but what we're doing here is we're leaning lab, in. We're leaning into the power of the loop of the loopback patches that we've made because he's just picking the Alex is just picking the same loopback patch that we're sending into Zoom, and he's piping oh. it into the meter. And of course, but because SoundDesk and and Sonicat are made by the same company, uh, David mentioned that I I can open. Um, where can I open that? He said I can open. Um, where do I do that, David? <laughs> um, uh, so, but, but David said I can open, um, Sonic Atom directly from, uh, SoundDesk from SoundDesk because they're both, both made by the same company. There's the secret, but I don't know how to do that. So I, I will now okay. have to research that. This is why it's a lab. We're figuring this out. Any other questions? Any other, before we get to the end? Did we get to the end of the questions? One more. Okay, go ahead. Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany asked, what selection of mic and speakers do I have to make in Zoom and Teams, the virtual device, output mix pre to Zoom? Does that not show up in the mic selection menu of Zoom? My standard for the mic is mix pre. Yeah, change it to mix pre to Zoom. Uh, no, no, send to Zoom. You, you want to, you want to, the thing that you use for your mic in any, uh, conferencing tool is is uh i don't know i'm sorry i can't remember what we call it do we call it mix pre to zoom or zoom to 
I think it was mix pre to zoom. This is how we yeah, got mix, out of sound desk. Mix pre to zoom. And that may not be the it, it should probably be send to zoom. We should probably rename that send to zoom because mix pre to zoom is a is a misnomer. Send to zoom or send to broadcast or uh, um, whoa! What? Um, so right under here is this is where did you my Apple stock go up? What? I'm sorry. Your Apple stock went up. So what it has here is all the places that I can. Um, uh, this is where you can send um, from this this channel. So this channel, I didn't really know what these these buses were, um, but these buses here I can go there's things that are supported in the bus so I can say oh I just want a level meter and it just brought up instead of instead of having to open something it just brought up a level meter oh and I'd like to have maybe Cad a um, sonic atom I would like a loudness or oscilloscope let's try oscilloscope here and there's my um, it's not very impressive in the way it's set up right now but there's the oscilloscope so you're able to open oh, very my, cool so if you want to analyze all the things you're doing um, out of this system, so you can, you know, if I have, uh, there's a peak meter. So um, there's the... Hey, Alex, I like this. Can you set uh, both LUFs and DBs as separate windows? Uh, you can. So this is... Oh, that's um, very cool. I have that oh, yeah, problem yeah. all so, the time. So if I go in here and I go, uh, I want Sonic Atom and there is a loudness meter instead of levels. Um, cool. And you can say this is momentary loudness, um, short-term loudness. So we can, you know, we can kind of play with that a little bit. Um, we can figure out what scale we want to work at. Uh, anyway, okay, so yeah, I got so my eighty bucks. Oh, it's it's a uh, yeah. So so you can open these all up. So that's if you have Sonic Atom, it's all built right in. You thank you, thank you, David. That we all learned something again. Uh, you can go. put those on the. Oh, and he said put it on the master. Well, the problem with the master bus is that we're. I put it on that's the bus. That's just what you're listening using. to. Oh, wait, it isn't. I don't quite under, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll look at it there. Um, oh, he said put it up here, but I don't. Yeah, anyway, but that's just we'll what you're out. listening to, not what you're broadcasting. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm willing to have somebody prove me wrong, but I think that sending the feed to the world through an aux is smarter than using the left right because it allows me to listen to things before I send it. I guess I would just say I would rather just use the aux and know that I'm the left. I'm, I would send it to myself as, a, as aux. It doesn't work because you can't. And I'll tell you, very simply, Alex, I'll tell you why it doesn't work. Uh, well, I guess you could do it plus Vader. Uh, we'll think about it. I always feel like for me, the reason I have the mixer is so that I can serve other people with audio that I want to send them. And so to me, I want the last fader to be what's going out to the world. So it's a very simple matter of, of changing it if you want to try it. That does make sense. So if you go to the mix pre to zoom patch here, instead of patching three, four, I'd patch this to left, right. And under sound desk output instead of patching one two no uh to listen 
instead of patching one, two to my mix pre, I would patch three, four. So I'd, you'd, if you toggle those two things, your mixer will work um, what Fenwick dis- would describe as wrong and what Alex would describe as an Perfect. experimental weird way of working. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Be careful so now, doing that while you're talking to us this. because if you do it wrong... If uh, so, you can still hear me, right? No, we can't yes. hear you at all. Oh, check. <laughs> yeah, you broke it. Totally broke it. Check, this check, check. Work. Uh, nope, can't hear you. Uh, check. One editor's that's perfect is another's, huh? Yeah, yeah. So now we have to figure out what happened. Um, no, we hear you. We. Uh, hear I'll you. tell you what happened. Oh, you hear Fenwick's me. messing with you. Uh, damn yeah. it! You're, I'm, I'm cutting your pay in half. All right. So the um, <laughs> uh, so 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 now if I bring up the Oops, I'll use the slider here. So I can hear it. You can't hear it, right? No. Correct. We cannot hear what you just potted up. And then if I... Yeah. Now I hear it. To me, that that feels normal. So I'm sitting there like, this is my preview. But if I want to send it out to the world, I bring it up to the mains. I don't know. That's, That's what feels... So, Alex, what you could do... Oh, I froze, you could, didn't I? No, it, oh, it, no, okay. You got me thinking that that might be right. Um, what freezing. you could do That's is you could go into the, the, the two control setup that I have here, and you could map one controller to be your headphone mix. This is the there next one. Right and, the, and the other controller to be the house mix or the, the, the broadcast mix. I, have, I already have it. I already have the, another controller that I want to test something different, so I got this one. So this is the X Touch Mini from Behringer. So I'm gonna try that. Yeah, I don't. Know. Uh, Mickey, you're still listening. What's your thought on the way I chose to do the aux to broadcast versus mains to broadcast? Which would you, which would you do? As we wait, as, yeah, as we Alex, wait, we'll, we'll put it right Mickey at the very end. We'll put it in the. Mickey says no, no. Mickey agrees with you. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So. Uh, uh there we go all right so thank you so much it was good that was good just Chris. a little thank you alex for the last two, no no it's a little over but i think that i think that i think that it's it's a um uh uh i think that these i like these labs i like the i like the labs you know and and it was one of those things that i just needed to sit down and do it with chris i mean me figuring it out i mean it's just that it's just time and i felt like you know we can these really work well i think i mean so let us know what you think about it uh, go into rfi use the rfi inside of discord uh, if you don't know how to get on discord go join and then go down to the emails that we send you and then you can go and in but let us know what you think of these labs i would like to do more of these i find them very enjoyable <laughs> so hopefully we'll try to get the questions we got so intense on in trying to get through the thing we forgot to ask the questions but we'll sprinkle the questions in throughout more more yeah, uh, we're, we're learning how to do this this is all like hmm how do we do this so um but expect us to play in the next six weeks with more of these labs and probably into the future because i think that they're really fun and let us know if you find these to be interesting um i think that We'll continue to try to work through some of these. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. And then one last thing I want to say is, hi, mom. I'll be. Uh, I'll come down to see you at the end of the hall. Just a moment. <laughs> Very good, Chris. Hi, excellent work, hi, Chris's Thank mom. You. Um, yeah, uh, Chris. I would have to say that if I have to defuse a bomb, I want you to be the guy in my ear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cut the red wire. I mean, the left. The, the 
The, I the mean, left I meant the one. The other red. Is that Rick Astley? Uh, so thank, thanks to the panelists. Great, great first hour as well. Thank you so much. We can't do this without you. And thanks to the to the producers for so many great questions that we didn't get to all of them. Um, they were still ones with lots of good votes and everything else. But we're really working on not rushing at the end and just answering the questions and moving them back. So if you got those questions there, make sure to push them back in the next day. Um, and of course, you can throw them into the QR code anytime you want. Um, and, uh, and thank you to the incredible team that makes all of this work. Um, so the development team has done an incredible job of doing the migration and is going to be doing so much great work as we go into the next year, the, um, you know, to the, uh, the management team that's figuring out what we do every day, how we're going to do it. And then also to the incredible production team that's here seven days a week, making this happen. We really appreciate all of your contribution. Uh, we traveled 75,000 miles today, 121,000 uh, kilometers answering all these questions. That's what it would have taken. Would have been, you would have gotten pretty close to being a 1K just on one day, just getting these questions answered. I mean, that's uh, 600 million on the dot, 600 million bananas for scale. Let's jump into the after hours. Best Rick roll ever. Yeah. <laughs> The best part was, is I gave you one video and then I turned it down and then I swapped the video. (laughs) Naughty boys, naughty boys. I've never seen you have the giggles on the air, ever. (laughs) I just wasn't sure if it was, everyone was going to get it. Like, I just didn't know if it was going to, it was going to be funny or not. So I, but I, I tried to play it close to the chest. That went a lot smoother than I thought it was going to go. Yeah, it went great. And if it wasn't for you putting your... Korg on top of your mute switch, we wouldn't have even needed the phone. <laughs> yeah, the trick is to the trick is to pre-build all the modules and then go to, and then you know, on. Yeah. push it into Zoom. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm getting ready. I'm kind of I'm building little rough 3D models of all these things so that I can build all the print out. So I'm gonna build kind of an, a whole interface for this so that they're all like lifted up and in the right place and not 